The Gospel according to Luke. We begin to read at the seventh chapter, the thirty-sixth verse. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, What is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at a table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hear the text again. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is a tremendous believer in faith. He believes and he teaches through his word that faith has tremendous benefits. There's absolutely nothing like it. It is given to us to benefit us and the rest of the world. And I want you to look with me today at some, not all of them, but some of the benefits of faith. First of all, it is faith that enables us to be able to accomplish the possible. Without faith, we cannot accomplish the possible. Now, let me explain what that means. We are people created in the image of God and we're given all sorts of possibilities. No one of us here can even scratch the surface 
of the possibilities God has placed in us collectively and individually. But we have them. When God creates a human being, it's more than just a piece of protoplasm into which has been breathed the breath of life. But in that human being, there is possibility galore. We have possibility to be able to love, to go to camp, to learn, to forgive, to accomplish, to have dominion. We have possibility of being able to be born a second time. The Bible says this birth is not a physical birth. No, no, you can't crawl into your mother's womb and be born all over again, but you are born spiritually. And every one of us has the possibility of being born anew, starting all over again. And the contention of Jesus is that you cannot find the meaning of life, be able to find that joy, that happiness, that peace, that power that is possible for each one of us without being born again. And we do this through faith. The possibilities come only when you have faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the door. That's what sets us free. That's what you were just singing about, young folks. It's being able to have faith. Paul comes real hard down on this subject when he says that we are saved by our faith. We are born anew not by doing right things, but by believing the right ideas. Paul says we are justified, we are made right by our faith. And if you're going to know conversion, if you're going to know rebirth, you can know it one way, and that is by belief, and that is faith. When you love. How do you know somebody else loves you? You love not only the other person, but you love by knowing the other person loves you. And you put faith in that particular idea. We have so many possibilities. So many possibilities that we are able to enjoy in life. We are creatures created to do all sorts of possible things, but not one of us can accomplish any possibility unless, unless we have faith. As the Bible says, and you read it in that Hebrews passage, without faith it is impossible, impossible to please God. And another way of saying it is without faith. You cannot find the possibilities that God has placed within you and which are waiting to be unleashed to bring you happiness and to bring the world to a betterment. That's one benefit. The second is, it is only with faith that we can attempt the impossible. little play on words here, accomplish the possible. And the second is, attempt the impossible. We are people who are to be constantly attempting the impossible. And, and you can't do that without faith. Jesus says that. He says, you know, in that particular passage of Matthew, that if you have faith, don't have to have very much of it, just enough about the size of a grain of mustard seed, 
You can say to this mountain, move, and it will move from here to there. Nothing is impossible for you if you have faith. Now what Jesus is saying here, and please let's make it very clear, he is using conscious hyperbole. That's a form of speech. Jesus was not trying to get us into the earth-moving business, though I understand there's a lot of money in that. Jesus was not trying to get us into that business. He was just not interested in us going through our life moving one hill from here to there. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He never expected us to take him literally. What Jesus is saying, using conscious hyperbole, exaggeration, is namely this, that with a grain of mustard seed, which is one of the smallest things in the world, you can move a mountain, which is the largest thing in the world, or to put it so we correctly understand it, a little bit of faith has very large consequence. And Jesus throughout his whole Bible, throughout the whole New Testament, tries to get us to be people who attempt the impossible. It's possible for us to be able to love and to forgive and to be able to accomplish things in life. We can do that through faith, but what's more than that, Jesus expects all of us who accomplish the possible to also attempt the impossible. And you can do that only when you have faith in God, in your fellow man, and in yourself. I'm sure you people are little too young to remember, but 15, 20 years ago there used to be an advertisement on television. It was sponsored by one of the coffin nail people. You know, you know the coffin nails? They come in little packages of 20. I hope you never find out what they are. Unfortunately, some of your parents do know what they are and use coffin nails constantly. But you'll remember that particular advertisement put out by that particular company? You know, I, I can never figure out exactly what's wrong with our government. You know what I'm talking about. It's little packages and there comes a warning from the Surgeon General that uh, this can be harmful to your health. I don't know why they don't put that on the saccharin packages and the, the other things that they're trying to ban. They're all dangerous, but that, that's a topic for another sermon on inconsistency. And But nevertheless, those particular companies, and I forget exactly which one it was, had an advertisement which said, they said it could never be done. Do you remember that? They had some well-known commentator, I can't even remember who that was, come and, and show us where we said that this was impossible to do. Now, in the length of time, we have been able to do it. And I'm sure you, those of you who are over... 18, you, you remember that particular advertisement. It pointed out what the Bible is trying to teach out to us, and that is that we are people who are capable of doing the impossible. And, and that should be no, no big message to any of you, especially those of you who are in the 70s and 80s. I envy you. Because you people live and have lived in an era when more discoveries have been made from the impossible than at any other time or period in history. Do you realize that? I don't know how blessed you are, but you have seen more things develop, 
more impossibilities become possible in your lifetime than at any other time in history. I've just seen the television come and the walk on the moon, but some of you, you, you saw the Model T, the Model A. I don't think anybody's old enough to just have seen the first telephone. Some of you saw indoor plumbing. I didn't really know what that was to be without. Do you realize the things that you have been able to accomplish in your life and be able to see in your life the impossible being done? And that is because people attempted the impossible. I want to tell you about my grandmother Morledge, Anna Morledge, great woman. And she, I remember telling me when I was very young about a man who was a salesman that came to their home wanting her to invest in a newfound discovery that, that he had made and which he thought would revolutionize the world. She listened to him. She was a great woman of faith. Any woman who was widowed at, an un, at a very young age, widowed to a Presbyterian minister, and that's the day before they had really the pension movement, and had six children to raise. She didn't have much fun. She believed the man said that she hoped that he would do well. She wished she had money, but she did not. She had faith in him, but her pocketbook couldn't back it up. And she laughed later on and said, my, she wished that she had, because that newfound discovery that this man thought would be helpful to every housewife, today it's called the zipper. And I often wonder where I'd be today if Grandma Morledge had bought stock in the zipper. great things. And as I stand before you today and every other day, I cannot help but begin to wonder what impossibilities are going to come from you people. I don't know. You know, it's very frightening to stand where we do Sunday after Sunday before you. I, I, I feel somewhat like that man that William Barclay tells about, that professor who before he taught every class would bow before his students, would bow before them in silence. And he was asked one day why, and he said, it just astounded him to realize the potential power that was before him in those minds that yet would be doing the impossible as God would lead them. That's the way I feel. I look upon you. Some of you sit in some of the biggest offices in America. Some of you recently have just been with the President of the United States. Some of you are making decisions that affect literally children yet unborn. And together with John Camel and others who come to preach, we have the responsibility to try to challenge you, challenge you to attempt the impossible. And that's what it's about. You realize every one of you is probably working today, if you're employed, for a company that was begun by one individual who had an idea that many people thought was impossible. I wonder how many times they called Andy Carnegie nuts. <laughs> people like Firestone, Ford, H.J. Hines, those people, you know, 
those people lived in a day when they believed that God expected them to attempt the impossible and they went out and did it. I hope some of you will be with us the next time we go to Israel because that is where I see it now more than any other time or place in this lifetime. We've lost it in America. I think we had it back when we were beginning building the days of making this nation great, but you see it over there. They have a saying, and I wish I could repeat it in Yiddish, but if you're from Squirrel Hill, unless you're from Squirrel Hill, you wouldn't understand it anyway, and that helps me because I can't repeat it, but it goes like this, the translation. The possible we do today, the impossible, that'll take a few days. And you know there's something in that attitude and when you see those people and watch that country and you see out of the Negev desert places now orchards growing oranges that put Florida and California to shame you begin to see what faith can do it can accomplish not only the possible but it attempts the impossible Without faith, you can't do it. And the third observation I would like to make is the benefit of faith. Without faith, you cannot assume responsible action. You cannot accomplish the possible, attempt the impossible, nor assume the responsible. This afternoon, I'd like every one of you, especially you young folks, to go home and look up that word responsible or responsibility. I want you to do it for two reasons. I want you to find out exactly what it means, and I think you'll find it comes from two words, meaning you have the ability to respond. To respond to some higher power, to some particular stimuli, you and I, we have the ability to respond and that is called responsibility and the second reason I want you to look it up is simply because I'm afraid that's a word that is slowly disappearing from the American English language I started out in those days when people started to talk about their privileges this was after the Second World War everybody wanted to know their privileges in the 60s and even now in the 70s we're having a revival of it everybody wants to know their rights their civil rights their God-given rights you employers tell me that when somebody comes to want a job first thing they want to know their benefits how many days vacation how many days sick leave what is the hospital plan and I hear very very few people talking about responsibility when was the last time somebody sat down and talked with you about their responsibility to the family, to the church, to the community, or to your company. You don't hear it much today. I hear parents thinking that they have excused the whole situation by saying, my children, I can't do a thing with them. They do not feel responsible. And they blame the school system, they blame the church, they blame the church staff, for failing in helping their child. I hear school teachers, school teachers who do not feel responsible that Dick and Jane cannot read or write or add. 
or subtract. They don't think it's their responsibility. I don't know whose it is if it isn't theirs. I hear preachers, preachers, not being too concerned when churches are not filled and really do not think it's their responsibility if people don't attend worship in church school. I wonder whose responsibility it is. I hear politicians, excuse me, statespersons, that's what I hear they want to be called, saying before they're elected, get me in and I'll change it. And after they get in, they seem to forget their responsibility. Where do we go? We live in a nation where one week from tomorrow we will celebrate our 201st birthday and we are together as a nation because a few people were willing to sign their name and believe that they would even sacrifice their time, their fortune, and their lives because they had a responsibility before Almighty God. This church has been built upon the foundation of people who are not self-appointed but had a sense of responsibility to Almighty God. The Protestant Presbyterian Church has been built upon a foundation of a man who stood before criticism and he took the responsible action of saying, Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. The whole Christian church is in existence because one individual who believed he was the Son of God, though he was sinless, took upon the responsibility of the cross and died for the world. As I try to analyze what's going on, I keep coming up with the same answer, whether I like it or not, and I'm as guilty as anyone else. There's one reason why we don't talk about our responsibility, and that's because we're frightened. We're afraid of what it's going to cost us to get involved. We're afraid of what money sacrifices we'll have to make. We're afraid of the commitment. We're afraid we might be wrong. And we are afraid to believe that God has appointed us and even though there's somebody we think who could do the job better nevertheless we are God's person at this time in whatever place we find ourselves and God is in partnership with us and God help us if we don't assume the responsibility see the answer to our fear is our faith and you either have it or you don't. People say, yeah, but how do I get this kind of faith, Dick? You don't have to go out and get it. You already got it. Where can I buy it? You can't. It's already been bought for you. There's only one way of exercising that kind of faith which can accomplish the possible, attempt the impossible, and assume the responsible. And that's by throwing your shoulders back, lifting up your head, believing in God, believing in each other, and believing in yourself. Singing, my faith looks up 
to thee. O Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Father, help us as we get back to the elementary things of Scripture, of life, and of living. And help us this day to leave this place of worship, looking unto you who art the author and the perfecter of our faith. And help us to be people who lose not faith either in you and other people nor in ourselves. Help us, Father. And may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore.